I believe to live a life that's fulfilled, we must have a biblical answer to all of these four questions so that we can live a life that's congruent and a life that is whole. It's not divided because too often we are divided in our thinking. We might love God with our hearts, but with our minds in the way that we think we are far from him. And this is why the word of God tells us that we have to renew our minds because that implies that we weren't thinking rightfully in the first place. How does the Bible answer these questions? And do the answers actually match reality? What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Andrew Roman Show. I'm so happy that you've tuned in. How you doing? How's how's your week? Well, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. My week has been crazy, to be honest with you. I mean, I'm I'm exhausted. I'm I'm really tired. Um, but I wasn't gonna leave y'all try like that. Like 140 something episodes later, and I don't post something because I'm tired. Heck no, because there was definitely something on my mind that I wanted to share with you today. But before we get there, I want to invite you personally, send the invitation to you to join Counter Current Generation. That's kind of the fam, if you will, of the Andrew Roman show. So that way you're in the know, you're you're on the top. So we know what we're doing here at the Andrew Roman show, especially because the question that event is coming up in November. We said it was November 5th. It was, we've moved it up to November 12th, actually. And if you're part of uh, CC Generation, you already got the link to sign up. In fact, we're going to be posting that in social medias this week, so you don't want to miss it. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, definitely join us. We're still seeing if we're going to transmit it or not and kind of figure out all those, all, all those quirks, if you will. But I'm just so happy that you're part of the show, you're listening today. You know, last week we did an episode where we talked about whether or not the Christian faith is really anti-science as culture would like us to believe. It was a packed episode. Well, today, folks, we ain't playing around. In fact, this episode is, is, is a bit special because we kind of go full circle here. You know, when we started the show, episode one, you can go back to the archives. You got to scroll a lot for this one. But in the archives, I think the, the episode was called Spider-Man and Life's Biggest Questions. And in that show, we kind of briefly touched on these four big questions of life that we're actually going to dive into in this episode. So that's why I say it's kind of full circle because it's been a long time since we've touched this topic. But, you know, it's been said that the most powerful vehicle of communication is a story. Right? We, we can all see ourselves in stories, whether it's moving, right? Because moving pictures are, well, I hate to make it a pun, but very moving because that's just what they do. A story is what moves the person the most. At least, at least me, whenever I watch a movie, if it's a really good movie, I'll be in tears or I'll be pondering about it. You know, here at the show, we, we've, we break down certain movies, Interstellar, Thor, Love and Thunder, and The Tenant, and we haven't done one off Inception. That would be, that'd be a cool one to do. But the fact is that stories, they, they tell they tell a story, if you will, but they, they tell reality in the way that moves people in the way that is convincing, in the way that, that is profound. And we all connect with movies because there is a story that we all tell ourselves about life that dictates our decisions. We all have a story of the world, right? We all have a story of how the world works. And with every story, there are heroes and there are villains. There are the good guys, the bad guys. 
but there are different stories that are being believed about life. Not all of us think the same thing about life. We don't all think that the same thing is bad or the same thing is good or who are the heroes, how did the world go wrong, what can fix it. All these, they're all these different explanations of what life is supposed to be, etc. Well, today I want to share with you the real story. One that's not made up, one that is not um, subject to kind of the, the whims of 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 subjectivity of, of culture, but in fact, we're going to talk about this story through answering four different questions. And these have been called the four big questions of life. And I will share what I what I believe the Bible is saying in answering these questions, its implications, and then we'll compare how the culture today is answering these questions. Because we can know the real story of life. When, when we can answer, we'll be able to answer these questions with truth. And we, when we do that, our lives are changed. From the way that we think to how we live, everything's affected by these questions. Well, you might be thinking, holy cow, what are these questions? Is it is it math? Is it chemistry? Because I skipped those classes in school. That's a joke, by the way. I did not skip those classes in school. But no, in fact, these four questions deal with four themes. And you can kind of memorize it by by just kind of learning the titles of them, if you will. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. You can say it with me. Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. That's it. Pretty easy. Ah, now you, you know this is the show. We're not gonna get we're not gonna get that superficial. We're going to go deep. So in, in other words, these questions of origin, meaning morality and destiny can be asked like origin is the question of how did we get here, right? What is the origin of mankind? And what does it mean? Um and how, how does that answer, I should say, how does that answer play out in our lives? What about meaning? Why are we here? That's the why of life. One uh, famous phrase that I've said many times on the show, they say that the two most important days of your life is the day that you are born and, and the day you find out why. The day that you find the meaning behind your life, the purpose. Well, then there's morality. The question of how should I live? What dictates good and bad? Is there such a thing as good and bad? And if there's not, then I guess, does that mean I can live however I want? But then experience kind of tells us a different thing. And how we answer that definitely applies and has consequences to our daily life. And then there's the question of destiny. The question of destiny deals with the afterlife, with where do I go after I die? And in some way or another, every single person on earth that has been the age that they can think properly has asked these questions. My question to you is how do you answer these profound questions? Because how you answer them has profound consequences on your life, positively or negatively. And today we're going to try to answer these questions biblically because I believe to live a life that's fulfilled, we must have a biblical answer to all of these four questions so that we can live a life that's congruent and a life that is whole. It's not divided because too often we are divided in our thinking. That's, I'm not going to say that's the biggest problem in, in our Christian community as young people, but that's definitely a big problem is that we are divergent, meaning we, we, we're we completely divided in our thinking. We might use Christian terms, yet have a worldly meaning behind it. We might love God with our hearts, but with our minds in the way that we think we are far from him. And this is why the word of God tells us that we have to renew our minds because that implies that we weren't thinking rightfully in the first place. Because you have to understand, I don't care if you can, you grew up in, in a Christian home, 
with our minds, which can be plagued by sin, plagued by, by worldly currents of thoughts, and this is why, hint, hint, we're called counter-current generation, our minds are used to thinking a certain way. And when you come to Christ, your spirit is renewed, it is reborn, sealed by the Holy Spirit, amazing, yay, but your mind has to be renewed. That is your soul, right? Your mind, your will, and your emotions, they have to be renewed by what? The Word of God. And this is why it's so important that we allow the Word of God to renew our minds because just because you have thought a certain way for a very long time doesn't mean that that way of thinking is correct or incorrect for that matter. We have to take things and judge them by the standard of the Word of God. So how does the Bible answer these questions and do the answers actually match reality? So what about the question of origin? Where did we come from? Now, we're not going to get too technical about the scientific discoveries and, and why we know scientifically that, the, that there has to be a creator and that we're not just an accident, because I, I've done episodes on that. But today, I want to actually go a bit deeper than that. And I want to just start by what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The most powerful words, if you will, ever written is in the very first lines of the Bible. This is what it says. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And you can probably finish it for me, right? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the, of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So right there, from the very first words of the Bible, God is telling us that he made us on purpose. Now, that might sound a bit obvious, but... I really want to dive deep because the question of origin goes way beyond the scientific question of the beginning of the universe or, or humanity. How we answer this, this question of origin will affect how we answer the rest of the questions. So from the very first words, God is telling us, you're not an accident. You were made on purpose. You weren't the result of a, some cosmic battle between the gods or a, a process of billions of years of aimless and random mutations, but you were in fact created. And maybe this isn't something that you've thought about much, but I really want to encourage you to get a grasp of this because if you get a grasp of, of answering this question, it can truly transform your daily life and the confidence that you have in your daily living. I, you know, I still remember many years ago when we were still living in Mexico. It's kind of crazy. I, ha I say many years ago and I'm saying like, how many, 14, 15 years now? 16 years? I don't know. That was a while ago. We were still living in Mexico when my mom told me we had German heritage. Bro, I was pumped. I was like, that's so cool. That's so cool, right? Yeah, richtig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, man, I don't speak that much German. Uh, but we, we even had, I remember, a shirt with the last name Menke, which was uh, the my great-great-grandmother's maiden name, which was really where we came from, from Germany. And I then discovered that my grandpa, uh, who I call Opa, had researched into our genealogy for years and had traveled to Germany to meet distant relatives. Then he involved me in the task and I would go through his cabinets, I remember, that were filled with files of different ancestors and about their, their jobs, their names, their obviously their kids and and their recognitions and different memorabilia, like from newspaper articles written about some individuals to, to pictures or, or, or something a bit more special, which I'll share in a second. It's, it's a weird feeling, to be honest, to, to kind of see the past and, and realize you're part of this. You're part of something bigger to find out a bit of your origin, if you will. 
I felt like I was part of something. You know, for example, one of the things that stands out is my great-great-grandfather, Charles H. Boshaw, was the first conductor of music for the Peabody Institute of Music in, in Baltimore. And I was able to visit the Institute and actually go to the archives where I found the music that my great-great-grandfather actually wrote, made copies of it, and it was a piano and violin duet. And a friend of mine at the time played a violin, so we actually played this together. It was it was surreal. I was playing music that my great-great-grandfather wrote. Talk about a, a journey back in time. Now, now, why do I share this? I don't know your family history, but my guess is if it's like mine, in all family history, it's probably pretty complicated. But I have good news for you. You have a more important origin story. Even though you can have much pride in, in, in your family history, as, as, you pro- as you should, but there is an origin story that we all share because before the foundations of the earth, God already thought of you. Whoa. And that's pretty crazy. Like, don't ask me to explain because I don't know. I'm that guy. But that's what he said. He said, before the foundations of the earth, he had already thought of you and he had everything planned to put you on this earth for such a time as this. And and. By the way, I have a dedicated episode to my opa, my grandpa, shortly after he passed in June of 2020. So if you want to check that out, you know, check out episode number 20. But it is fascinating that before God even created anything, he had already thought about you. Because in the beginning, it says that God created, meaning he chose to create. Because God didn't need to create. Because a lot of people ask, and rightly so, why did God create in the first place? Why is there an origin story to begin with? Did he need us? Was he lonely? Was he kind of this needy, insecure God that just needed to uh, create some beings to worship him and, and fulfill some type of egoistic need, as some skeptics might might describe him as? Uh, no. The, an- the answer to that is no. God didn't create us because he needed us. He's not dependent on anything. And if you believe he's dependent on anything, you got to fix your theology a little bit because he is a necessary being. He's self-existent. If you want to use the right philosophical term, God exists a say, which means he exists self-existent. He's not dependent on anything. He doesn't need to be recharged by anything. He is necessary. So the, the best reason then I can think of of why he created us is love might sound cheesy, but it's definitely not because God needed us, but it's because God wanted us. He didn't create you out of need, but out of desire. So by definition, you are loved. I I want you to think about this. The very reason that you came into existence in the first place is because you are loved. Bro, That's deep. I I mean, I hope that you can receive that today. It's not like God was bored and created mankind and then decided to love mankind since he had already made them. No, no, no. He didn't make you out of necessity. He made you because he wanted you. What? So that means intrinsically in us is the reality that we are deeply loved deeply loved by God. So if you've ever wondered if you mattered, if people in life or circumstances in life have made you doubt your worth, the origin question can let you know that by definition, you are loved. 
Sorry, that's deep. I want you to sit and think about that. Maybe you're like, dude, I'm driving. I'm literally sitting. Then perfect. You're already sitting. Think about that from the get-go, from the very beginning. The reason that you exist is that you are loved. So you don't have to go and search in life to be loved by somebody, although it's important to be loved by those around us. But you can know that, wait a second, if I'm breathing, it's because I'm loved. The very the very reason I came into existence is because God wanted me. Not because I'm an accident and then God said, well, I got to do something with this accident. No, 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 no. It's because you are loved. See, if you're into fashion, you understand that what makes a piece of clothing have value is not only the material, although that's part of it, but it's mainly the brand, right? This is the reason that one bag in Ross, which we call Tia Rosita, which is the store, in you can have one bag in Ross and then one bag in Gucci, and they will be way different in value. Even though the bag is not that much different, I hate to say it. I know some of y'all bougie people are going to be like, you know what? Mm-mm. There's so much difference between a Gucci. Okay, maybe there is, but you get the point. There isn't that much difference that justifies the value because the main difference is it's a designer brand, right? It's designer clothing. It's like, they, they, it's when they ask influencers, oh my gosh, you look so beautiful. What, who are you wearing? And they'll go around and just name all, I'm wearing, I'm wearing Louis Chanel, Versace, Burberry Armani, blah, blah, blah. You know, and it just sounds like so, so bougie. That's interesting. We'll, we'll show off that we're wearing literally the name of some artist some designer, and we will say that by wearing that, it gives us value. Interesting. I think you know where I'm going with this. What about a painting? What, what makes a painting have value? The, well, the painter, the artist, a painting by Van Gogh or Manette or Picasso, Da Vinci, or all the great artists like Frida. If it's a masterpiece, it's because, well, they, they painted it, right? The masterpiece of itself has value, not necessarily because it's in the eye of the beholder, although there's some of that, but, but there's something deeper with art. There's something deeper in the, in the beauty of art, something that, that's at the soul level. It's not just like, well, someone can look at trash and look at art. I mean, you can create art out of trash, but trash inherently is not really beautiful. That's why it's, well, it's called trash. But with with this in mind, the the name brands, the designer brands, the masterpieces of art. I want you now. I want us to now read Ephesians chapter two, verse ten. Listen to this: For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did you hear that? You, my friend, are God's masterpiece, his workmanship. So so why are you valuable? Because God made you. My friend, some people might be wearing Prada. Some people might be wearing Gucci. Uh, You, my friend, are wearing the image of God. You're wearing the name of God, my friend. That, that, that's crazy. That's crazy. You can have the confidence of standing up straight with your shoulders back because you are made in the image of God. You have inherent value. Whoa. I know this, this origin question is, is profound. And if we don't quite grasp it, we will continue to live our lives insecure of who we are. 
But the good news is that not only did God make us on purpose, but he also made us with purpose. And this takes us to the second question of meaning. Why why are we here? Now, the fact we exist is obvious. I mean, we're here, you're listening, I'm talking. Uh, But why do we exist in the first place? Well, answering the origin question will then give us a hint. Because if we're just a random accident, a product of mindless evolution, then there wouldn't be a why behind creation. It just, I should rephrase that. There wouldn't be a why behind nature, not creation. Behind nature, it is just is. There's no why behind it. Survival is what supposedly um, brought us to this place in the first place. So I guess survival is the reason? Is that it? Is, Is that the why? But But we know that we are created on purpose and with a purpose, but what is this purpose? Is it survival? Mm, I don't know. Then if it's survival, we've done a very bad job because we're focusing on arts and all this this artistic stuff and philosophical questions when all we have to do, bro, is just survive. If that was the, the true meaning behind life. Genesis 1, 26 through 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, male and female, he created them. So what's the origin? Is that we're made in the image of God. And and let's take that now a little bit deeper with this question of meaning, Ephesians 2.10, which we read a little bit uh, before. Now let's see it in in a new light. For we are his workmanship, origin, right? They're created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love love God. He's just so practical. Like God cares about your day today. God actually cares about your work. God cares about the details of your life. God cares about the schooling right now. God cares about how you live. He made us to reflect his image. How do you reflect his image? By doing the good works that he has prepared beforehand. Now, this plan was completely broken by sin, but it was restored in Christ Jesus. So do you remember what the verse said? It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Because until we come to be in Christ Jesus, we will never fully reflect the image of God. That doesn't mean we don't have the image of God and the value, yes, but it's been kind of like dirty, right? It's It's been kind of um, marred by sin and it can be completely restored by Christ Jesus. This is why the verse specifically says, in Christ Jesus, in relationship with him. Before the fall, there was, re- there was relationship that was broken by man's sin. And in our life, if you want to live a, a meaningful life, one of purpose, you got to be in Christ because that is when you're fully restored to your correct position. The the best illustration I can think about is it's like a puzzle. Life is life is like a puzzle. In fact, I did a whole episode about this, episode 55. Every puzzle comes with a with a with a box top, right? It has a box top that shows you what the pieces will be making when you put them together. The world has thrown away the box top of life and they've tried to make their own thing, but because the pieces are only made to make one image, you will always be incomplete when you're trying to make a different image. I want you to think about that. That's the problem with meaning without God. 
is that we take his pieces, but then try to build something that he he never called us to build, be someone who he never called us to be, so we feel incomplete because we're not building the image that is on the box top. So what did the verse say? Remember, it said, in Christ and good works. So if you wanted to put it in a simple phrase that has been used very often, what's our meaning right now? To know God and to make him known. To know God, meaning be in Christ, and to make him known, those are the good works. You want to know your purpose? Congrats, you found it. To know God and to make him known. And how that works practically in your life can be very different. You can do that in the medical field, in the real estate field. You can do that, you know, with, with your family, at work, at church, at, during sports. Like, there's just no limit of how you can work this out. Well, that leads us to the third question. What is morality? What is good and what is evil? And this third question, we're going to talk a little bit more when we try to answer of how the culture answers this. But we, we've kind of dived this in detail in other episodes talking about God's moral law, right? Scripture and general revelation. Because this is something we have to understand, guys. God's moral law, that is the scriptures, that is his teachings, his decrees, are perfect. They are. They teach us what's right and wrong. They guide us. In fact, I love this this part in Psalm 19 that says, starting in verse 7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and the righteous all together. More to be desired than, than gold. More, it says, even much fine gold. And sweeter than honey, in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." That, my friend, is the standard. Now, why are why is God's teaching the standard? Is it something arbitrary? No, it's not. It's because they derive from God's character. God's morality is not arbitrary. Something isn't just good because he says so, and boom, it is good. Uh, that's kind of incomplete. It's good because he says so, because he says so, because it comes from his nature. Does that make sense? It's not just for the fact that he says so, but he says it because it comes from his nature. Anything that's opposed to his nature is evil. He is truth. That's why lies are wrong. He is good. He's perfect, etc. And we, we can kind of understand that. So my convictions of morality are not based on my whims, whims of preference or if I feel like a righteous person one day and the next person I don't, the next moment I don't. It's I follow God's decrees. I follow his laws because can we just be honest? He knows best. So even today, how will you answer that question in your everyday life? Are you working ethically? Uh-oh. In your job right now, are you working with integrity? Are you honoring people? Do you tell half-truths, which are lies, by the way? Or do you work ethically? Do you work to honor God and work morally? What about the last question, destiny? Where am I going? I love that Jesus gives us a pretty simple answer here. He says in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. And why? Because he says, believe in me and believe also, believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's homes, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's the hope, right? He's coming soon. And we'll take you to myself in that and so that you may be where I am also and that you know the way to where I am going. 
Death is not the end, my friend. Jesus robbed death of its sting. You and I are a part of a story more amazing than Star Wars, more amazing than Lord of the Rings, because it's actually true. We know that our destiny is true because of Christ's resurrection. It's something incredible. And this is how I would kind of summarize the, the biblical answer to these questions. But before we wrap, I want to now kind of go one by one in how the world culture is answering these questions, because maybe you'll notice that your thinking has been influenced more by culture than the word of God. And that will lead you to being living a life that's not congruent, thus not powerful and not meaningful. So how does, how does culture answer the question of origin? Where did we come from? Well, culture tells us it's chance plus time. Evolution. And even when people don't quite claim evolution, they'll just say, well, we're here anyways. I don't know how we got here, but we're here. And in fact, we are the top of all creation and we are the most evolved that we've ever been. So somehow we have managed to come to a point where we can recreate ourselves. At least that's what we try to do. We, we, we believe that we are our own inventors and can play God with who we are. So we've now created a multiplicity of identities out of feelings. And now kind of it's like we're trying to play Mr. Potato, right? Where we take off a certain ear, put it in the ear, take off a nose, put in a nose, put sunglasses. And we're trying to like think that we are the artist and the, and the art at the same time. It's chaotic. And this is what our culture is going through. So because we are our own makers, the problem with that is that our value then is strictly tied to what we make ourselves to be. But the problem is we're not perfect. So if you made yourself to be, um, you know, try to be a success in business, then if you believe you're your own maker, then in business, your success will be tied to your value and also your failure. So then all of a sudden you lose your business and you are a failed person. You have you have no more value. That's what happens when we answer this question like that. And culture says, folks, there is no box top to the puzzle of life. We somehow have puzzle pieces. No one can explain how these pieces got here. No one can explain how we got here, but we're here and we're just going to create whatever we want. In fact, not only are we going to create whatever we want, but there's no image to, to be like. We're going to play with God's pieces and try to form a different image, yet because we form a different image than we were called to, to form, we will always come up short. Here's the truth. You, you and I can't create anything. We can't. We're just stewards of what God has already created. Even children, God is the giver of life. And this is why it's super important that we get this origin question correctly, because this will determine whether we support abortion or we're chill with abortion. Because if you know that God is a giver of life and we are not the givers of life, thus we cannot be the takers of life, that a woman has the honor in the privilege of carrying life, thus, but she does not create life, neither does the man. God is the giver of life. He's the one that gives breath to our lungs. Thus, we, we cannot just take it away. Our, our, our culture answers this saying, no, origin is only your... I should say your value is only valuable if other people recognize it as so. And until some other people recognizes or decides that you're valuable, then you're not. Thus, with abortion, that happens. Three weeks, eh, not really valuable. Six weeks, eh, not really valuable. Born, oh, well, 
it'd be too gruesome to kill it now. Although in some states they're like, well, if the baby sur- survives an abortion, the mother might have some time to decide if she wants to keep the baby or not. What? Like, wh- what are we doing? It's tragic that a person's, a baby's life is all decided whether that baby is wanted or not wanted. Because if the baby's wanted at three months, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, is that your little baby? Oh, that is so adorable. I can't wait to meet that baby at two, uh, you know, at six weeks, seven weeks, and nine weeks when you find out you're pregnant. Oh, you're pregnant. That's so incredible. If the mom wants it. But if the mom doesn't want it, oh, it's just a clump of cells. Oh, it's just nothing. It's really are we going to really play that game? We have to get our answers right that actually um, are in accordance with truth. Because we have pretended that we can be God and take life. When And this is why I love, and, and I know I'm probably going longer than, than usual episodes, but I think that's fine because uh, we don't really have a time limit here. It's this. God, from the beginning, the reason he created you is because he loved you. But people will say, in the humanist perspective, they'll say, mm, I don't know if I want you yet. I mean, you're born, but I don't know if I want you yet. And your value is decided based on my desire. But my friend, whether you're desired or not has already been decided because you came into existence. You already know that God desired you, my man. God loves you. You are intrinsically valuable. Not all of us are super instrumentally valuable because some of us don't maybe, you know, pitch in a lot to society. We can work on that, but we're all intrinsically valuable. One of the ways that, that I see this, it's it's by a trend that I've seen lately, and I know it's happened in the past, of people vandalizing great works of art. You might have remembered most recently Van Gogh's sunflower painting was vandalized by some climate activists. So so was the Mona Lisa in the past, and thankfully they're both protected by by protective glass. But I'm like, why vandalize art? It's like it's like a middle finger to culture to culture or to society because people do it for some type of social class, so social cause. Well, today with our transgender transgenderism movement, any kind of LGBTQ. Um, agenda, really sin itself, what it does is it vandalizes God's art. You're God's masterpiece. The lies that we have believed in our culture that men can be women and women could be men and if a girl feels like she likes more stuff that are boys, then she must be a boy and has to have surgery to remove female genitalia. Are you serious? Like, we're really living this? This is not like a, like a horror film? No, no, it's true. It's true. We're vandalizing God's art. You are a masterpiece. God has created you male or he has created you female. He does not make mistakes. That doesn't mean that because of all the lies around us and because we are ourselves, because of sin, we, we have fights inside of us. We have temptations inside of us. We have flaws in, inside of us. That doesn't mean that there's not going to be questions, but the answers God has given them from the very beginning in his design, that he loves you the way that he's made you. But what about the question of meaning? Why are we here? Well, culture tells us that, dude, it's for you to decide. I mean, I don't know. We're here. So what are you going to do about it? Some people even say, well, why, why, why think so deeply about meaning? Because 
let's just be honest. Meaning is the fuel to life. It's like saying, why do I, why do I need gas for my car? Do you want to run? You want your car to run? Get some gas for it. That that's what meaning is to our lives. And one reason that that culture gives us is that life is a journey of self-discovery and self-fulfillment. So you are the epicenter. You are the the star on the stage. And life is about you. It's about finding yourself. But the problem with that is that we live life with a mirror in front of us, and everything is about us. And the only problem is that we're gonna get. Rubber is going to hit the road at some point in time and a selfish life is never a fulfilling life because you and I weren't supposed to mirror ourselves. We're supposed to be a reflection of God, not a reflection of ourselves. So whenever you're questioning your life right now, think, why am I doing what I do every day? Why do I go to work? Why do I do these endeavors? Is it because I want to just reflect me, reflect my achievements, reflect, get my name out there? Or is it because I want to reflect God in my workplace? I want to reflect God's kingdom in in my sports team, at school, in, in, in the business meeting, wherever you find yourself in. Why are you living? Because unfortunately, culture will tell you that it's a reason that doesn't have a lot of substance. But what about morality? Morality culture tells you that it's good and evil are just basically social constructs that their preferences, nothing is really objective, but I've noticed that nothing's objective until it is objective. I mean, it's like, oh, hey, man. Nah, stealing isn't bad when you steal from the rich. Oh, wait, you want to steal from me? <laughs> no, dude, I ain't that rich, even though people living in the U.S., generally speaking, are one of the most rich compared to the rest of the world, yet it's only allowed to steal from the like the 1%. Hmm, that's, that's interesting. Because so- somebody says, you know, Man, nothing's right, nothing's wrong, nobody's wrong, but no one's wrong until you disagree with the person who believes that nobody's wrong. And all of a sudden, you're wrong. And this is why we have to understand that postmodernism, this idea that, that truth doesn't exist, I think it's a total myth because people, there's a saying that says people talk, people talk to 60s but walk to 50s, meaning they will always talk more radical than they're actually willing to live themselves. So they'll talk about radical relativism, that nothing's really evil in, in, in the world, yet they'll lock the doors at night because they understand that there is evil in the world. Or they'll talk about the redistribution of wealth, except their own wealth. Or they'll say, you know, let's get rid of the cops, except my private security. Or let's, oh, let's, uh, or how about this? No one has thought about this. If we're going to redistribute stuff and privilege, why don't we just do that with exam points? Like next time you, 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 you do well, really well on a test, good luck, because those points are going to start minimizing just to make it fair for everybody, and we're going to start re- redistributing exam points. I know, things are fun until they're not fun, because reality hits you. It's like Chrissy Teigen, this is, or T, is it Teigen or Teigen? Teigen, sorry, I'm not that relevant to know. I think I think it's Teigen. I watched the, the BLM documentary from Candace Owens, by the way, I super recommend that documentary. It's fantastic. It doesn't take any sides. It really just talks about the, the facts of the matter. But in 2020, when all the, riot, the race riots were happening, there was a store that was completely looted. It was a boutique store. So, wow, way to like beat white supremacy by raiding a boutique store. I don't know, whatever that 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 helps. And the owner complained about people completely just ravaging his store and posted it and, and 
tag Chrissy Teigen because Chrissy Teigen had promised to bail out protesters that that were put in prison up to like $100,000 or $200,000. So he's like, hey, thanks a lot for encouraging people to rob, to rob because either way you'll bail them out. Well, Chrissy Teigen replies to his post making fun of him. He's basically ridiculing him that he's upset that people robbed his store and just saying, well, I guess I won't shop there anymore. Really? Circumstances make certain things right and wrong when it comes to like to stealing or even when it comes to hurting people or violence to, I mean, I know it's like two years past, but too many people, too many people made excuses for violence because it fit a certain narrative. And this is the problem when you try to answer this question, the world, the culture answers, there is no anchor to morality whatsoever. But what about destiny? And with this, we, we kind of start wrapping up the episode. Culture, unfortunately, doesn't give us much hope of a destiny. According to a 2021 Pew Research Center, although nearly three quarters of U.S. adults say they believe in heaven, that belief in heaven can be completely varied. In fact, one in six Americans don't believe in any afterlife, and those who do believe in an afterlife that other than the concepts of heaven or hell are like weird concepts. Like they call it the like net, N-E-T spirit, which I just found out. It's basically like a superstitious belief of entrapping like a net, the full essence of divinity. It's part of the whole, what's your sign? Not, oh my gosh, I'm a cancer. Oh my gosh, I'm this. It's like, uh, that's just nonsense. I loved one joke. He said, my sign is dinosaur. They're like, wait, but dinosaurs don't exist. Yeah, none of the signs exist, okay? That's that's part of the point. And then 17% said like reincarnation. But here, here's the thing. The problem is, and the tragedy, I should say, is that all that culture offers is void of any real hope because it's all founded on superstition or speculation. It's like the lady that told me one time on, a, on an airplane when she, she told me she was Christian and yet she believes in reincarnation. And she says, well, the reason I believe in reincarnation is because heaven can't fit that many people. So where are they going to go? If they can't fit in heaven, they come back to earth. Or haven't you had a deja vu moment? Well, the reason it's a deja vu moment is because you've been there in another life. Wow. That seems like grasping at straws. I, again, you... You can try to form a different picture with the puzzle pieces that God has given us, but they will always come short because they're not made to fit, to f- make whatever image you want. They're made to make an image that's a congruent image according to the box top of life that is the word of God, that is that you're made in the image of God. So, so my question to you is how will you answer these questions? Can you answer them with truth now? Or did you kind of notice that maybe some of your answers to these questions have been influenced by the world and you've answered them incorrectly? Because as humans, we have an amazing ability of living in contradiction. We can go a long time living in contradiction. We can have contradictory answers to the questions yet continue living. But when rubber hits the road, when life hits you, you will realize that the pieces of God don't mix with the pieces of the world. So I encourage you today to follow the real story. Put the pieces together correctly and I promise you, you will find fulfillment. So I'll see you in the next episode of the Andrew Amos.